Welcome to Drilling Deep. I am your host, John Kingston, here at The Place on Freightwaves TV, where we talk about oil, we talk about diesel, and we always talk about something else every week. Our something else this week is truck insurance. Oh, wait a minute. I don't want my glasses on. I'm starting again. We ready? Okay, we ready now? All right, here we go. Welcome to Drilling Deep. I am your host, John Kingston, here at The Place on Freightwaves TV, where we talk about oil, we talk about diesel, and we talk about something else every week. Our something else this week is truck insurance. And we've got Michael Graham of Idelic, which has long been known as a company involved in truck safety, through training, installation of various instruments inside the cab to measure driver performance. He's going to be here to talk a bit about their move into insurance. And he'll do that after we talk about diesel, which comes from oil, which comes from the ground. You have to drill it to get it. And that's why we call the program Drilling Deep. Winter is basically over. Okay, I know it's only February 3rd, as, and as I, as I write this, as I record this, and yes, it's been a very warm winter, but that's not why I say that the winter is over. In fact, we could get some more cold weather, and here in New York, where I live, we're getting a brutally cold day this weekend. But that's not really what counts in the world of diesel. What counts is that most of the heating oil and natural gas that was going to be burned this winter to keep things warm have actually been burned. We can get a real cold February here, though, to be honest, the forecast for the first half of the month in the U.S. continues the warm streak for much of the country. But the reality is that the season is pretty much done from a heating oil and natural gas perspective. Last fall, the prospect of winter was a scary one for diesel. Inventories were extremely low, particularly in some key markets like the U.S. East Coast. And let's remind everyone that heating oil and diesel are both distillates. They're very similar. And a squeeze in heating oil was going to spill back into the diesel market. Then you had European natural gas, where the prospect of significantly reduced supplies out of Russia threatened to push a lot of diesel into natural gas applications on the continent, furthering an upward push in diesel. But here we sit in early February. The prices are down, and a couple of things have happened. First, the Europeans bought a lot of natural gas last fall and socketed it into inventories. By October, natural gas inventories were at about 75%, which for October is very high, uh, 75% of full, and they continued rising from there. The result is that the TTF, which is the Dutch natural gas pipeline price, and is pretty much considered a benchmark for pipeline gas on the continent, that price has dropped about 80% from its peak levels in late August. That has helped push down natural gas prices in the U.S., which peaked back in the summer at more than $9 per thousand cubic feet, got pretty close to 10 and now it's below $3 per thousand cubic feet. U.S. inventories in November were a little less than the five-year average, so while it wasn't a disastrous preparation, it did put the U.S. market at some risk. And, of course, that risk really didn't materialize because of the fact that, yes, as I said before, we got a warm winter in the U.S. and in Europe. The weather gods certainly smiled on the Western world this year. But we do need to look at some numbers. It's not too early. Even as winter is retreating and the heating off season is mostly checked in, fully checked in, we're still exiting with low stocks. It's a concern because we may not get quite the lineup of similar good things going into next winter. Let's start with the easiest number to remember, day's cover of inventories. We get this by taking Energy Information Administration's data on consumption and total inventories, divide the inventories by consumption, and what we have left is the number of days that could be serviced by 
service of consumption solely from inventories. It's a great number because it's low enough to be easily remembered, easily digested. It doesn't break it down into diesel, but rather all distillates that aren't jet fuel, but about 90% of the number is diesel, so it's a good number for diesel inventories. The most recent report from the EIA had that day's cover number for distillates at 30.5. Remember that it's at its low, it was between 25 and 26. If we take the five years leading up to the pandemic and average them, the average number for the fourth weekly report of January was 40 days cover. Compare that to the 30.5 that we had in the most recent report. In other words, by one measure, we're at about just 75% of normal coming out of winter. That means in that in order to get ready for next winter, we've got a lot of inventory building that has to go on. And we're already off on the wrong foot. U.S. refining runs last week were at 85.7% of capacity. That's lower than all the years before the pandemic for the fourth week of January. And back then, the base of that percentage that the percentage was applied to was a lot bigger. So it's a double whammy. A cold February and March would complicate building those inventories for next winter because it would be a significant draw from what we have in storage today. It isn't too early to worry a little bit about next winter because right now, the signs aren't good. We've got a lot, long way to go, but we're starting from a low base. It's okay for today to relish the fact that we never got the diesel squeeze we thought we might be facing this winter. But that doesn't guarantee we won't get one next winter. And at this point, the first most important data point, that of oil inventories, is not providing any comfort. Moving on now on drilling deep, insurance is a cost that has not gone down for several years for truckers. But here's the thing. The insurance companies aren't making any money off it either. Truck insurance has been expensive for driver and, and fleets and a mostly money loser for insurance companies now for several years. Idelic has long been in the business of coaching companies on the issue of safety and developing onboard safety systems, but now they're taking a big step. They're getting into the insurance business as well. The company announced a few weeks ago that it was creating Idelic Insurance Agency, and it begs the question, why? What opportunity does it see in a market that has been extremely tough for so many? So with us today to talk about that is Michael Graham. He is the company's Senior Vice President for Insurance. Michael, uh, welcome to Drilling Deep, and uh, congratulations or condolences. I can't figure out which. <laughs> Thanks for having me, John, and it's definitely congratulations. This has been a long time. Okay, we were happy to um, launch in the marketplace officially two weeks ago. Okay, so first, why don't you give a background on Idelic, and then we'll move into the new insurance initiative. Absolutely. So Idelic is a technology company, and our core product is called Safety Suite. We actually spun out of a trucking company at our inception back in 2016. And what Safety Suite does is integrate data from all of the devices in today's trucks, um, as well as FMCSA, accident data, HR data. We have over 80 different established integrations. We bring that data together, we apply it at the driver level, and then we put advanced machine learning algorithms on that data to identify drivers that are most at risk of getting into an accident over the next 90 day period. Once the fleet has that information that they can then go coach those drivers to become lower risk. Okay, now you are an idyllic insurance, you're, you're I'm not say your title, but you are going to be the managing general agent, not you personally, but I mean the company, Idelic Insurance, is going to be the managing general agent. What exactly in the world of insurance does an MGA do? 
Absolutely. So an MGA is a well-established um, um, entity in the insurance value chain, and we basically sit between the insurance company and retail agents that work on behalf of uh, trucking fleets. Okay, so you are not going to be actually sort of underwriting any insurance per se. You're not really an insurer in this initiative. Correct. We don't issue the policies or pay the claims. We're involved in the account risk selection and risk reduction and servicing of those policies. So this is different than a broker. You're not really a broker. Uh, there's broker aspects to it, but it's more of kind of a, a more underwriting oriented. Okay, because when I, whenever I think of broker, I think of an individual, an independent insurance broker who represents many insurers, some of whom might be well-known, others whose names the average person doesn't know, and then offers their products to their clientele. I mean, is that an accurate description of what a broker does? Yeah, for sure, particularly a retail broker who works directly with the end buyer. And so we'll be working with those retail brokers um, to help place competitive insurance programs for their customers. Okay, so so first talk about the decision to actually do this. This is not a kind of thing that I would imagine you did without a lot of thought, that this is probably a many months, if not year or so process to decide, let's do this. How did this first come up? Absolutely. So I've been on board with Idelic a little over a year now, and I joined Idelic to launch our insurance operation after 20 plus years working for traditional insurance companies with an emphasis in commercial auto. Um, Idelic's journey was, you know, they, we have our safety suite platform and the view always was if we can uh, predict driver risk and help fleets to reduce that risk, that we really are a good fit uh, in the insurance industry as that's the core of what, you know, most companies insurance are doing, taking that risk and helping and partnering with fleets to reduce that risk. And so that was always really on our roadmap as a company. And in one safety suite evolved enough and we completed our Series B fundraise almost two years ago that really became kind of a near-term strategic priority to, to build the insurance business. Oh, so the, the Series B funding that you had, I'm, I didn't, I'm sure we probably wrote about it at the time. I'm not sure what the amount was. Insurance was targeted with that? It was a component, yeah. yeah as part of kind of the next evolution of the company, um, we, we announced that that would have been March 2021. We completed that Series B and, and uh, certainly building an insurance business was a big component of the next next step for the company. All right. So I always like to do the, as I describe it, the shin bone is connected to the ankle bone. I like to, I like to talk about how things are put together. So you've got insurance companies, you've got trucking companies, and you've got you as an MGA in the middle. Talk about how you're going to participate in that, in that flow. Absolutely. In our case, and we're a little bit different than maybe other MGAs in the marketplace, because our focus is bringing insurance products to customers that are on Safety Suite or want to be on Safety Suite. So basically pairing our proven uh, safety technology platform and, and loss reduction technology and outcomes with insurance products. So that'll be really taking um, shape in two ways. One is working with existing software Safety Suite customers. And if they're interested, no obligation, bring them insurance quotes by working with their insurance broker um, to bring them a quote at their renewal. And ideally that's competitive and we, we earn that business and we expand that relationship with that fleet. Um, alternatively, we would have you know um, totally new customers that are interested in harnessing the power of safety suite with an insurance product. And it would be going through a traditional underwriting um, process as well as software evaluation and sales process there. 
All right, so let's talk about safety. Is it, did you say safety squeeze? Is that it? Safety sweep, yes. Okay, so the same, like, like the baseball play, right? Yeah, right. Oh, no, yeah. not, not the squeeze. No, sweet, sweet. Like sweet, I'm sorry, safety sweet. I'm sorry, that's right. You did say that before. So I'm still a little bit uncertain about where, what, what, I mean, I can see where that will provide you a significant advantage because if an insurer says, well, I'm looking at company X to maybe insure, you've got all of their safety data uh, in your in the safety suite that you can you can express to them. So, you know, how does 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 the insurance company then pay you a fee for putting buyer and seller together for providing that information? Where, where's the revenue stream here? Yeah. So, MGA, the typical MGA revenue model would be a commission as a percentage of the premium of the policy, um, just like a broker um, in that respect. Absolutely. And so, we would only receive compensation on the insurance side for successfully finding insurance for those fleets and providing them competitive options. So who is who do you sell to in the sense that, you know, let's say you've got a marketing team connected to this. Do they go out to insurers or and, and try to and try to have the insurers sign you on as, as to service them? Or do you do you try to offer mostly through the trucking companies? Yeah, um, it's really kind of a two-pronged approach. So one is building relationships with retail agents that have established books of business as well as relationships with trucking fleets. And then the other, uh, particularly with our current customer base, would be uh, talking to them about the option. There again, we work with insurance broker, um, but to provide them alternative insurance quotes as well. I mean, I'm kind of fascinated by the fact that you you use the most of the results of a fundraise for this. I mean, obviously that suggests it's pretty capital intensive upfront, even though you're you're not a classic insurer. So, what do you do with all that much money? I mean, what did you need to spend it on to get into this business? Yeah, I probably need to steer clear of exact dollars and cents. Um, so- yeah, that's okay. I mean, that's okay, but but let's just still, um, you know that that. This couldn't be generated by, you know, let's say a smaller level of funding or internally. I mean, you it's obviously a significant amount of capital. It is, but I, I would say that certainly the fundraise went to more than just launching the insurance effort. So as part of the fundraise, there was a number of strategic growth areas, things like expanding our sales team, enhancing our software product, launching insurance, right? All was kind of encompassed in that fundraise. Insurance was one component that was that was earmarked in the fundraise um, as a strategic growth area for the company. Okay, now there are lots of companies that do all sorts of safety services. I won't mention them because it's going to be easy for you to answer this question. You know, you know who they are, you know who your competitors are, and I think most people listening can take a, a guess at who the competitors of of Idelica are. Is anybody else doing this? Have they taken their have t- taken their safety information, which is probably considerable as, as well, and leveraged it into this entire new business? There's a bunch of different approaches in the marketplace. Um, and, and you know, I want to recognize all of them could be very effective for particular types of fleets and how they're trying to position that value proposition. Certainly, we believe strongly in the power of what Safety Suite can do for our customers. Um, and that could be everything from you know putting actual hardware in the trucks, think camera providers, probably is the top of that list, um, to be able to really inform the fleet in terms of the behavior of their drivers and what's happening as they go down the road. So that's kind of one category, kind of the hardware provider. There's other you know, data software type, type technologies out there that are integrating that data, either, um, either kind of in partnership with certain hardware providers or other third-party data sources. 
Um, our approach, we consider ourselves device agnostic because we don't sell any hardware. We're all about bringing that data in from hardware that's generally already on the trucks. And we think we have one of the broadest uh, arrays of integrations available in the marketplace today. Okay, you, 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 you're in the insurance business, and you're, I gather your, your background then is not in trucking. Uh, you've probably been sort of amazed at the amount of information on safety that comes pouring out of every truck. What safety information would you like to see that's not there yet? Well, I, I think really we've seen it, uh, just a really paradigm shift in the last five, ten years. You know, I think you know, I've been in the trucking insurance space for over 20 years now, and I think back, uh, you know, when I got started in, say, the early 2000s, you know, we, we really did not have much visibility into what was happening in that truck at that point in time until, you know, potentially post-accident, right, and post-accident reports and police write-ups and things of that nature. Um, and modern technology, coupled with, you know, advances in the cloud and, and bandwidth to be, basically send that data up into the cloud has provided just a... A, you know, we call a fire hose of data, really, coming off the trucks. Um, and actually, many fleets are kind of drowning in that data. And so I, I compare it you know, um, to the evolution of like uh, cell phones, right? So you can have a 1990s flip phone or you can have a modern smartphone. And the modern smartphone has just vastly more capabilities than, than the, the first generation 90s. Right. So the so you've got the, the equipment's out there. I guess probably the biggest thing is the penetration. There's still companies out there that don't have cameras, probably more don't have cameras than, than do, even though any attorney will tell you, please, please get a, get a camera system because it's inevitably, not inevitably, but more likely to help the trucking company in an accident than it is to help whoever they collided with. Oh, for sure, John. Um, you know, I think back five, seven years ago, as cameras were really starting to get traction across the marketplace, and I've talked to a lot of fleets about whether or not they're going to install cameras. And there was a lot of apprehension at that time about installing camera. Now the plaintiff's attorneys will come after us and, and they're even a bigger target. And, you know, I recently was in a, a conference where I asked uh, the audience, which was, a, you know, probably dozens of trucking fleets, you know, how many of them have had a driver accident exonerated because of the camera? And the vast majority of attendees there raised their hand that, you know, the camera turned a, an accident from a, you know, he said, she said uh, as to what actually happened to a, no, this is actually what did happen. My driver was driving safely and, and the camera clearly shows that. And, and then, of course, the claim in, in any type of tort damages uh, proceeds in a very different direction at that point. So you've been in this trucking business, the trucking insurance business for a long time. Why is it so miserable? I mean, from what I understand, nobody's really made any money on commercial fleet insurance for several years now. And I think, as I mentioned in my opening remarks, a lot of truckers will find that hard to believe, given that they've seen their own bills, their own invoices for trucking insurance soar. Well, I mean, you, first of all, it sounds to me like what you're going to be doing, you're not necessarily directly exposed to that. I mean, a, a, a rate increase is not going to necessarily pour into your bottom line. So you're kind of separate from that. But let's talk about the insurance, of which it sounds like to me like you were one or you certainly worked with them. Why is this business so miserable? And it hasn't been miserable forever, but certainly been miserable for a while. It is an extremely challenging business. Uh, in fact, sometimes I, I wonder <laughs> what I'm thinking uh, about being uh, so committed to the industry. You know, the fundamental challenge is we don't know what our costs are. I say we, 
insurance companies and reinsurance companies that basically pay the claims and bear the financial risk of loss for, you know, call it five years down the road in general. And so as a result, it's very difficult to uh, price the product until you know, and, and claims represents, you know, 65 to 75% of the premium dollar. And so it's the single largest cost line item. And you don't really know what that full cost is going to be till years down the road. And so what happens is you write the business thinking it's going to generate an acceptable profit for your portfolio. And then five years later, you realize, oh, it didn't. And not only did was it just one year, now for you have five cumulative years that you have to start playing catch up on. And it really creates a, a challenging uh, portfolio management and pricing decision. And that's fundamentally the, the challenge the industry has faced for the last basically 10 years. You know, it's so easy to blame nuclear verdicts for everything because it's such a, a big enchilada. Um, that's, a, that's a factor, no, no doubt about it. But is that a little too simplistic? It is, uh, in my opinion. So nuclear verdicts certainly get, you know, the big headline attention because the dollars are, are you know, huge. And a nuclear verdict is generally defined as one over $10 million. Uh, but I can tell you from personal experience involved with a lot of different portfolios, we had portfolio profitability challenges, and there were not any nuclear claims in those portfolios. What we did have was a lot of um, a, a lot of injuries that you know modern medicine can help people and think like back injuries, um, but it doesn't do it cheaply. When you start talking about back surgeries, time lost off work. Um, things of that nature, all pushing up the value of those claims. Yeah, you know, are you also kind of surprised that we, we, we you know, obviously you've talked here about all the data that's flowing off of ELDs and other uh, Internet of Things the systems within a truck. Are you surprised that having all that data and all the knowledge you can bring to it because of that data haven't worked to push down premiums? Maybe maybe they have worked. Maybe it will be even worse without it. Um, but uh, would you have thought by now that that would have contributed to even lower premiums, lower insurance costs? I, I think it has. I think there's a lot of fleets that have really adopted it and used those insights into the drivers effectively, and we're certainly built to help them do that. And those fleets pay a lot less per unit, per mile, whatever measurement you have, than other fleets that don't. Um, and I can tell you, having been in the industry my entire career, I'm the range of just first million dollars of limit liability prices is huge. I mean, you could basically call it $5,000 a truck to 20 plus thousand dollars a truck. And, and uh, you know, what those fleets are doing uh, varies dramatically as well. And do you think that message is getting down to some of the fleets who might be resisting some of these, uh, some of this technology? It definitely is. We, we have customers that basically uh, want to, operate their fleet very differently than they have in the past because they know what they've had in the past um, has contributed to elevated loss experience. And so they're looking to, to find ways to reduce those losses and we're certainly built to help them do that. Let's wrap it up by talking back about your, your insurance initiative. Uh, how many people have you had to hire to build this operation? Yeah, we have a small team of three. It's year one, just getting started. And we're out talking to brokers and looking to partner with a dozen plus brokers uh, that are specialized in transportation across the country. All right. How, how many, this is a tough question, how many brokers are out there who you would say specialize in trucking? Is it, is it the kind of field that's, that's shrinking with maybe a lot of companies getting out of it, leaving the playing field to a smaller number? 
there are a lot. I mean, so if you just look at kind of uh, countrywide metrics, we're talking over $55 billion in annual commercial auto premiums. You know, almost all that premium has a, a broker involved in the placement of it. So there are, there are certainly hundreds and, and likely thousands of, of brokers, whether it be individuals or firms across the country. Um, in our case, you know, we're looking to really partner with a, a select group. And, and so we, we won't be looking to work with everyone, but we're certainly happy to talk with everyone. Okay. Uh, any, I'm trying to think of any final words that you would say to a fleet about insurance in general, any kind of big messages that they're, that they're missing these days. I, I think it's a constant journey of, of continuing uh, to get better and be operationally excellent, just like in other aspects of the business. And I can't uh, probably stress enough the power of what predictive analytics can do for really any business, but specifically trucking. I know um, the, the OEMs are working on predictive maintenance for a lot of trucks, and, and we're focused on you know, predictive risk around drivers. Yeah, it's, it's sometimes, sometimes I have to remind myself that you know we tend to cover kind of the cream of the crop, the big public companies, the larger trucking companies, the companies like your own that service that sector of the market. And there's a lot of small fry out there that they look at the cost of something like predictive analytics and they say, I just cannot, I cannot do that. Yeah. And I think you know, the cost will continue to come down like it does for most technologies. It goes more mainstream and ideally will become you know, more affordable to all fleets. Okay. We want to thank Michael Graham of Idelic. Uh, Idelic, it's, it's Idelic Insurance now, right? Is the name of the subsidiary of the, the parent company? Yep, it's Idelic Insurance Agency, LLC. Yep. Okay, thanks for joining us today to talk about your new insurance initiative. Thank you for having me, John. Okay, Michael has been here on Drilling Deep. We are part of the Freightcast family of podcasts from FreightWaves. You can find us on all the major podcast platforms. And, of course, we are video on FreightWaves TV dropping every Friday. I've been your host, John Kingston, and please join us again. <laughs>